Convention Friends. The episode you're about to hear was created prior to the enactment of the Well-Ordered Society Act. It is maintained here as a record, an archive, and a legacy of the wandering aimlessness that preceded our current predicament. It represents one step of many on the evolutionary journey from inherited defaults to holy, blessed, righteous surrender in the service of play. Enjoy. song i highly recommend that you stop right now and go listen to the full thing that was actually the extended version which is only nine minutes um the original or i guess the radio version is maybe like four and a half you're probably wondering well you're probably wondering a lot of things so before i go into why i started this episode with atomic dog let me start by saying thank you for being here um i know that it's tough to uh, stay into something. I know that it's, it's not necessarily tough. I know that uh, people can fall off from certain content if the regularity of that content being produced uh, ceases or becomes irregular, um, at least for like commodity content. Um, this is not that. This is delicious gratitude feast indulgence. So I think it's probably good enough that you won't fall off. But, but, because this is a feast of gratitude uh, and ideas and whatnot, I, I, uh, I suppose you could be hungry for some more in case you're not getting it elsewhere. So the reason the podcast has been gone the last couple of weeks has been mostly because of, uh, how do I want to explain this? Well, for one, I just didn't feel like it. <laughs> but the reason I didn't feel like it was that, uh, so a while back, uh, gosh, I don't even remember. Sometime late last year, I sort of entered into what I would call a spiritual wilderness. And there's a lot of reasons why I use that, that framing of it. Uh, felt a little, you know, Jacob going into the desert and getting his ass beat by some angels. Um, if you're not familiar with that story in the, the biblical Old Testament, uh, highly recommend you go read that one too. Well, maybe not. That one maybe isn't as interesting. I definitely recommend you go listen to Atomic Dog before I recommend you go down that path. because. The stories of, well, any religious text are not necessarily for everyone. So lest I have you going into the symbology of that particular book within that particular religious framework, I'll just say, I, for myself, as someone who tends to lensify things through that lens, um, that's how more more or less how I would describe the last few months. I don't know when it started. uh, I don't remember when it started. Maybe, um, hmm. I think just before I started doing the podcast, actually, 
Um, and really it was just like, you know, I was in this kind of state of transition for myself. I had just quit my job and now I'm having to figure out, like I've had these ideas and you all know them. You've, if you listen to the last 13 episodes, this is episode 13. So I guess the last 12 episodes, you know, that what my ideas are, you know what I think about things. But then there's like, how do you actually take that and operationalize it in your life? Hence the spiritual wilderness. It's been a lot of me figuring out mostly the hard way because I'm stubborn and really the hard way is like, I don't know, that's how I learn everything, I guess. Well, that's not true. Actually, I take that back. Some things I definitely learn from other people. So, but anyway, a couple of weeks ago, the week that would have been episode 13, um, that I skipped and then I skipped the next week. Um, a couple of weeks ago I embarked on what I'll call an adventure where at first, it was just a really exciting adventure. And I was like, well, I don't want to stop this for the podcast. Not that the podcast is a burden, because it's not. But um, I try to be in a certain frame of mind when I record these and when I sit here to do this. Uh, that frame of mind being one of gratitude for usually something specific. I like to try to have a specific idea underpinning the rambling. Because it's not just aimless rambling. I hope as you've gone through these episodes, if you've gone through them all, this is your first time. Thank you for being here and welcome. Um, there's an underpinning idea, right? Usually somewhere based in gratitude, around gratitude, based in gratitude. And then for something specific, um, I realize I sometimes meander a bit getting there. But I, I, think I, I like to think I do get there every time. And because there is a specific frame of mind I like to enter when I do the podcast, when I was on this adventure, it would have taken me out of the frame of mind of that and into the, uh, the specific frame of mind for the podcast. And I'll mention, I'll say, I'll state clearly, both are enjoyable states of mind. Um, you know, this all began because I wanted to have a, an outlet for expressing how I feel about some of the ideas I consume because I consume far more ideas than I generate. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm like kind of embarrassed to generate ideas. Um, and so the podcast kind of had this twofold thing where it's like, I'm going to generate ideas on the podcast and then I'm going to also, uh, try to like frame some of the things that I like I'm consuming myself for other people to see and consume because maybe they would have never heard about it if it weren't for my podcast. Um, and side note, this is like, I feel like we're on like a tangent of tangents right now <laughs> because we started with why I opened the podcast with George Clinton's atomic dog. And here we are in like the second tangent, the first tangent being what I was doing the last two weeks, the second tangent, which is kind of like what the podcast is about, um, <laughs> is so I started this in part to like highlight ideas I think are cool because I consume a shit ton of ideas and I, I don't know, I woke up one day. No, I, I didn't wake up. I was on a walk and I, cause I walk a lot. And, uh, as I was walking, I was like, man, you know, I wish more people appreciated some of the things that I appreciate. And I don't know, it just kind of hit me like, well, dummy, how are people supposed to appreciate what you appreciate if you don't tell people what you appreciate? Um, and then I'm like, well, I do sometimes, but then it's like to people I know. And even then only in conversations when it comes up. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's like there's a lot coming in in terms of ideas I appreciate and people I appreciate. And then there's not much going out in terms of even just pointing at the stuff that I appreciate and saying, wow, I appreciate that thing. So the podcast is that. I also uh, feel sometimes that 
in conversation with other people. A conversation is very dynamic. It's also something that involves two people playing off of each other and, and, and flowing with one another. You know, it's like a dance, basically. Um, when you're dancing with a partner, you are both subject to the flow of one another. And I have found, for me specifically, that that's very constraining. Um, it's actually like a really less than ideal way for me to put ideas out there. Um, so, you know, that kind of presents a bit of a dilemma because it's like, well, then for some of the things, how do you do that? And that's why here we are. There's a podcast. I was like, well, a podcast can help with this. For one, if, if nothing else, as I ramble about each week, assuming I can stick to a schedule, <laughs> which I will for the most part, as I ramble about, about some of the things I think are cool and interesting and, you know, just kind of like openly express gratitude and appreciation for some of these things, someone else will stumble upon this podcast and they will see something like that, that I appreciate. And they'll be like, holy shit, I'd never knew that. And then they will too, they will also appreciate it. I feel like if that ever happens at all, even just once, ah, God, I don't know. Maybe that's enough. Um, I want to keep doing it though. Cause I'm not like sitting here static. It's not like I've ingested all of the cool things I appreciate and I won't ever ingest anything more. Um, so for as long as I'm doing that as an intake, then this can be an output. And so that's essentially why we started doing this podcast, right? Um, to, to highlight ideas and to, to be in a frame of mind. And the adventure was not that frame of mind. Now, what was the adventure you might ask? Oh, wait, I didn't resolve the tangent for my idea to have the podcast. So it hit me in the head, like do a podcast because then people will appreciate things you appreciate. Um, inspiration for that uh, idea. I think I was actually listening to the Founders Podcast. So I don't know if I've mentioned it here on mine before, but Founders Podcast, David Senra, great podcast. Go listen to it. Seriously. Like, honestly, if every week you only listen to one podcast and for whatever reason you're listening to mine, I would say stop listening to mine and go listen to that one. Um, basically, the, the gist of it is that he reads biographies or books written about and or by founders of companies we've all heard of. Uh, and then just kind of summarizes it in like a, you know, I guess hour long podcast episode, more or less. Um, personally, I found myself listen, reading to many books and learning about many founders as a result of that, that have been hugely inspirational for me. I mean, gosh, I, I don't want to say life changing because I don't know, it's kind of cliche to be like, wow, that changed my life. But I, I would say it's like on the order of life changing um, for a number of reasons. I think one of the reasons being holy shit, why do I, none of these people are people you learn about in school. And I, it just kind of has me with this. Now I have this perspective, especially now after the adventure, which I'm going to get to. Um, I have this perspective of like, man, I didn't, I really didn't learn shit in school. Uh, for my professional money-making, I'm a hacker and I didn't really didn't learn much of that in school. Like, like, and I'm, when I say school, I mean from elementary through college. Um, I would say in college I was exposed to it, but like, as an accident and not necessarily something like the school was trying to do really. Although to, to the credit of some of the faculty, some of the faculty were trying to do that. So I'll give like 20% influence to college. Um, and then there's like all this cool stuff you learn after we are like, wow, I didn't learn any of this cool or useful stuff that I needed to learn at any point in school. Like how to do taxes or different types of tax groups or whatever. Anyway, you listen to that podcast and you realize there's this awesome history of entrepreneurship in the country, uh, the United States and, and really the world. Um, I'm sure for the world as well. Right. So like if you were not in the U S cause I know I have some non U S listeners and you're like, man, I really want to start a cool podcast. Um, even if it's like, especially like not English language, 
figure out who the top businesses and entrepreneurs are in your country and do a podcast on those people in the format of David Zenra, right? Like I actually think even within the like frame of things he's focusing on, you could probably copy it and focus differently because he does seem to be somewhat oriented towards tech-ish type companies. Not necessarily 100% that, but there's definitely like a bend in that direction. And I'd be willing to bet, like for instance, he's not, he's not done like the CEO that I know of, by the way, because I haven't listened to all the episodes. So I could totally be wrong. Um, but like, I don't know that he's done like the people who founded Coca-Cola, you know, or Kellogg or, you know, uh, consumer product, like various consumer products. Um, so maybe there's like an opening there. And then I think for like, obviously there are, I think every founder he's focused on is primarily the founder of a U.S. company. So to the extent that there are huge, awesome companies outside the U.S., then I, you know, there's clearly an opportunity to kind of copy that. But anyway, great podcast, hugely inspirational. And because of it, I'm like, wow, I've learned so much about things I wouldn't have learned about had it not been for that podcast. So that was kind of like knowing that was a thing when I was on that walk. I was like, man, if I started my own podcast, I could do like an adjacent thing, not adjacent, but like similar thing where I'm looking at stuff that's not necessarily just kind of like an obsessive focus on people who founded companies. I'm looking at a lot of things across the board. And if I also ramble about them on a podcast, then perhaps someone like me will be out there listening to it. Like, wow, that's really cool. I never knew that. Um, And I don't know. I like the idea of us all learning things that for whatever fucking reason we never learned in school, you know, we learn it from each other. Uh, and that's also, I think, a bit why I have that, like, I've said on the podcast before, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then there's, like, you know, 8 billion versions of beauty we can all experience. Um, if we, like, subtract the need to go to the central pillar of the village and, and sit around while we listen to the generations from before us tell us stories of the things we need to know based on what they think we need to know. Um, and instead, we just, like, get really better, really better. We get faster better and more efficient at learning from one another as we each experience life. Well, I think we probably learn more that way, but even if we don't, we certainly can appreciate more beauty that way. So we're starting with, let's just appreciate more beauty from each other's perspectives. And I think, you know, I see some things that I would call beautiful. So this podcast is for me to talk about them and put them out there so that you might see that beauty too. So yeah, um, that uh, is why I need to be in a certain frame of mind when I do this. So, uh, which is opposite to not opposite, just it's different than the adventure frame of mind. So what was this adventure? I was, I recently moved to Southern California, which is not why I went into the spiritual wilderness, but getting out of the spiritual wilderness, uh, moving here, moving back here, I should say to Southern California has been hugely instrumental in getting out of the wilderness. And then one day I was driving along. Actually, it was the Tuesday before the Thursday that would have been the podcast episode that wasn't. Um, and I was listening to this random podcast. Um, I, I kind of had been reading about, uh, or not reading about, but I've been seeing on Instagram posts from these like groups I followed in Washington, D.C., that like techno music groups, one of which is uh, Black Techno Matters. And one of the things that is cool uh, if you don't know already is that like a lot of music, American music, I'm going to stick to American music cause I don't want to make it. Well, I, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to like try to account for whatever the hell's outside of the United States, but, um, cause there's a lot there too, but a significant bit of like what's popular and what's 
groovy and you know whatever in the united states has like a huge huge black influence um i'm not going to say that there aren't white people as well that have had influences because there definitely has been um i'd say like realistically it's a mixed because we're a mixed country um but proportionally if you were to like look at the numbers um it would seem that like black people in the united states have like a pretty outsized proportional influence on music and the music industry and the genres we know and love and techno is actually one of them techno it was as we know it today um was definitely like majorly shaped by black people uh in in detroit in particular and so there's this group black techno matters in dc and i follow them because i try to follow as many techno groups as possible actually so i don't you know race is really not even a factor in that good techno is good techno but they're one of them because they uh helped to they hosted free and and somewhat underground techno events in dc and i'm a big fan of like free underground events um i'm a big fan of free any event (laughs) even if it's not underground but definitely like you get different musical styles if you're going like an underground thing um and i was in this podcast where the guy who started that whose name i don't know offhand but i will link to because i'm going to look it up when i edit this um was talking about this what did he talk about he said something he was talking about it right and the history and learning the history oh he mentioned like the belleville three and all that kind of stuff which are like the kind of three pioneers of three dudes in detroit who were kind of like the pioneers of techno um and that led me down this huge rabbit hole of like because i'm like you know i've always wanted to learn this history i've like known it kind of sort of but like not really like i'd say i grew up with i grew up in a black family where it's like for instance, we listened to Atomic Dog. My mother loved that song. I came to love that song. Um, like Zap and Rogers, Do Wah Diddy, another great song. Um, hugely, I mean, if you were to listen to, I only had the vocals from that song, but if you were to listen to the original, which I, by the way, I only did because like, I don't know, copyright. But um, not that taking the music out suddenly makes it okay, but I don't know. Um, there's like a lot of electronic influence, obviously. like. I actually think, I think the entire song was made electronically. All the instruments, the instruments you hear in that, I don't think any of them are your traditional analog instruments, actually. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, in fact, George Clinton uh, was, you know, he's kind of known as being like one of the like pre, I'd say pre techno, like, you know, late, like early R&B, jazz, funk electronic pioneers like electronic music use of electronic instruments and music pioneers um but yeah i grew i grew up like knowing quote-unquote old school music right and basically that just means like music my parents would listen to um and you know they were both born in the 60s so you know it's like kind of funky kind of jazz kind of like r&b pre-r&b into r&b soul you know think like motown soul train stuff you would see there um and i knew that stuff kind of um, but as a, as a guy who loves electronic music, um, as we know it today and like, as anyone would call it today and, and what you could identify. Cause like you could technically say that any music with electronic instruments in it is electronic music. But when like people say it today, they mean, you know, a particular, they have something in mind when they say it. And certainly when I say techno, I have something in mind. Um, but to think as well, like, Hey, you know, that techno thing that people talk about going to like Germany and raving about it and how awesome it is because there's cool clubs in Germany, um, techno clubs especially. And there's places in the United States, but you know, you're not going to go to 
just any old, like if you were just go to any random club in the United States, probably not going to be playing techno. Um, maybe they might throw like a song in there that's like kind of pop ish techno vibes, but not like the good stuff. Not the good stuff you'd find in like an underground free event in DC, for instance. Um, <laughs> so it's it's kind of been on my radar for gosh a while to go down the rabbit hole and and i heard that on that podcast which i stumbled upon randomly and i'm like all right cool so we're gonna go down this rabbit hole and that was the start to be what i'm gonna call the adventure so through a series of link clicking on the internet i discovered this book called assembling a black counterculture by deforest brown jr um i also recommend you check that out i'm gonna link to it in the show notes um and basically this book so i'm gonna start with like Gratitude to authors broadly, and then gratitude to Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown Jr. Do you include like the the juniors when you say the Mr. of the, the whatever? I'm gonna give a good heaping of gratitude to DeForest Brown Jr. for this book for a couple of reasons. So, one, it's incredibly well documented. Um, there are a bazillion sources, which was great because I am an a voracious rabbit hole diver. And the best thing to be able to do when you dive down a rabbit hole is have other rabbit holes to go down. So um, I'm actually like every single page, there's, refer- there's references, there's links. Um, I actually don't know what it would be like if I like, picked up a physical book. I had an ebook version of it on Kindle. So, but it's cool because you can click the links and then you can like keep going down the rabbit hole. Links to articles, links to other books. Um, I actually did read another book. Um, I didn't read... I mean, I didn't go too, I read a lot of the articles. Um, I didn't, a lot of, some of the books were hard to find um, without getting physical ones. And like, I kind of don't really do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I do, but I prefer, I, my order of preference for reading a book these days is like Kindle audiobook, Kindle or audible audiobook, Kindle ebook, and then physical book if I have to. And honestly, probably six times out of 10, if it's, if the only option is the physical book, I just don't read it, which is, probably limiting to to my knowledge but also i ingest a lot of knowledge so it's like i'm like i'm like like my audible when i'm in like a rhythm i probably read four books on audible a week so i i think i can i forgive myself for not being super into picking up physical books to read because it takes like i don't know 18 times longer for me to read a physical book than it does for me to listen to one on audio on audible and and when you're reading a book the old-fashioned way it's exclusive attention so um and like not even in like the not yeah like like you have to like you have to pay attention to an, an audiobook too but it's not exclusive attention for instance i can walk around the neighborhood i could probably walk around the neighborhood with a physical book but it would be unpleasant and i would probably trip over stuff um whereas if i'm listening to an audiobook i can walk around the neighborhood and be like kind of i would say as focused if not more so um, on the physical book as it on, as on a physical book, but without the hazards of not being able to do literally anything else. Um, anyway, this book is really well documented. So I don't know, I, like huge heaping of gratitude for people who put references in their books. Um, I don't care that much. Like I'm not anal about it. If I don't see references in books, especially books that like purport themselves to be nonfiction and to be describing things that have happened in the real world. I don't need there to be references because who needs that? But, but I say like 
you want to put yourself over the edge and like into my happy place, putting references in there is like that automatically bumps you in. Like there's, if I, if it were, if I were to rate things like books on a 10 scale, one to 10, if there are references at all, the book probably automatically gets a seven. And then between seven, eight, nine, and 10, it's like seven would be, you put really great references, but the book sucked and you weren't correct in what the references were saying. And then eight would be like the book sucked, but the references were, you were correct in what the references were saying. And then like nine would be like the book was okay. And you were correct in the references saying, and then 10 would be what Miss DeForest Brown Jr. Did, which is the book is good. The references are accurate. Like your interpretation of the references were accurate. And the artful presentation with which you wove this story and also looped in those references was exquisite. I mean, I, exquisite is really the only word I could use for it. And so like 10 out of 10 for that, um, it almost gets its own scale because so many books don't put references in them. Um, but clearly like a lot of uh, work went into this. So huge, huge heaping of gratitude, gratitude for DeForest Brown Jr. for assembling a black counterculture is the name of it. Um, and, and because of the references, so like <laughs> I went and read, uh, what's this book called? Uh, Leroy Jones, also known as hmm, this one. I'm going to look up while I'm doing this because it's, it's not easy to pronounce. It's not a, I was going to, I almost said it's not a real name. It is a real name, but it's not a common name by any means. Amiri Baraka. I think I'm saying that right. I'll link to it in the show notes, but Amiri Baraka. So I read as a result of this, first of all, there were a couple books he referenced from Amiri Baraka that I did not go read, but I read the one called blues people. Blues people, uh, the subtitle of that is Negro Music in White America. Um, just again, it's another kind of history of musicianship. And from that, I learned that the first recorded blues guitar in the United States uh, was, God, I'm not going to remember off the top of my head. I want to say it was Sylvester. Hold on. I think it was Syl- Sylvester Weaver. Was that his name? Yeah, Sylvester Weaver. And uh, what's her name? There's a vocalist that that he was singing to it. Anyway, he see he was the one. He was the first. It's the first recorded blues guitar instrumental in the United States, which I was like. I just think that's cool. And and like, I realize we take for granted. And this is like one of the big things in the from the adventure. We take for granted. I think from when it, when it comes to music, how saturated. Let's call it saturated. The, our, our experience of the musical world is because we can get it anywhere on demand and that it's easy. I, I can't imagine it's like 1924, 1923, and for the first time you hear what a blues guitar sounds like recorded. I don't know. I just like that era of like t- early TV and recordings and whatnot. And yeah, you have like radio, which was before that. I mean, I know like it's not so unheard of. But I don't know. I just think that's cool. Um, anyway, so I read uh, Blues People by uh Leroy Jones is the author that Audible has it under uh Leroy Jones oh it also says his his uh, assumed name which is Amiri Baraka Amiri Baraka I think I'm saying that right um and so that was one of the big things that I read and that was great and it's really 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 short comparatively this book was long um for a book without an audiobook and I, I'm surprised I read the whole thing because it was kind of long <laughs> it was kind of long there's another book I'm reading as well that's going to be a podcast episode or there's probably going to be a couple podcast episodes that come out of it that's also 
not an audible. I've got like four actually right now in, in the queue of things to read that like I'm reading the old fashioned way. And let me just tell you, I'm only, I'm only doing it because I care about the content of these books. Um, if I didn't, Oh God, would I not be reading them? I pass on so many books because I can't listen to them. Um, and here I am now with three in the queue. The, the fourth being, um, the book I just read, Assembling a Black Calendar Cordial. Anyway, huge heaping of gratitude to DeForest Brown Jr. and also to Amiri Baraka. Um, he's kind of an interesting guy. He's had some interesting opinions over the years, but his book, Blues People, is a decent one. If you're interested in learning like the history of blues, jazz, R&B, uh, and like, I'd say like modern, modern like soul-influenced music to include rock and roll. Um, and then, uh, so that's like, the main reason I have, well, one of them, one of the reasons I'm grateful for this book. The second reason I'm grateful for this book is because, um, my, in my naivety, uh, when I was looking for places to discover a history of like techno music, um, you can find it in a lot of places, but this one, I'm glad I picked this up. And this is like kind of where I started because, um, it was so damn comprehensive with the references. Um, but it's cool to be, I, I like, the way that he presented it because I would almost say that when I started to read it, it it's weird. It's a weird book. If you haven't read a book like it. Um, and personally, I'm not, I haven't been super familiar with this concept of like Afro futurism before. Um, and it kind of starts there with Afro futurism. And I'm like, well, who cares about Afro futurism? I don't care about anybody's futurism. Um, cause I don't really like people's fiction personally. I've got, I live in a world of my own fictions. Um, that I like, I don't know, superimpose from my insanity onto the real world. <laughs> so it puts me at odds with like other fiction, usually because I'm just like, that doesn't resonate with me. Um, and, and a lot of the like fictional elements of Afrofuturism also don't resonate with me because I've never been like a huge, let's go into outer space guy. And there's a lot of that and a lot of futuristic things, actually not just Afrofuturism. Um, I love space. Don't get me wrong. And when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be an astronomer. I was like, I think one of the things that my parents got me like a star map when I was a kid, cause I was like, so into it. Um, and I was like, I would use it and figure out where the constellations are going to be. Um, uh, but I never like wanted to go up there. That was never like a, I don't know. I never had this like, man, I really want to travel the universe. I like looking at it from here. Um, I've been, I'm actually far more interested in the deep sea. Anyway, that's not at all relevant. <laughs> um, uh, so the book starts out a little weird and then it, it gets into the groove, right? If so you gotta like give it, it's kind of like a TV show. You gotta like give it a couple episodes. And then once I got into it, I'm like, okay, now that I'm not, not out of accustomed, acclimated, I've acclimated myself to the style. Um, and then I've read it. Then it, it reveals itself as actually art, like exquisite art because it's, I would almost put it, I would almost say, and I don't know if this was like intentional and I'm not like a literary critic at all. I just, I'm just a guy who reads a lot, but I would almost say that maybe, maybe the author even tried to tell the story of this black counterculture, AKA techno. Like he, he presents techno as this black counterculture that is actually just like a step on a series of, um, cyclical evolutions within like the like music in the United States from black people. Um, and, and I would almost say like, he kind of picks up where Amiri Baraka like leaves off at the end of blues people. Right. And he kind of picks up there and then takes us through to basically modern day. This book came out in 2021. So to the modern day of like what music has become in the United States and, and, and the influences of American music on the rest of the world. Um, he kind of tells it in the style of 
Afrofuturist. And I, I say that as someone who's never read any Afrofuturist material, but he put some amount of it, like he quotes a lot of it in the book, mostly because it's relevant, right? And, and I guess I'm, maybe I'm biased because you could argue that, well, of course, his presentation of it that way is going to lead you to think that that was intentional. Um, but uh, I, I think that the way, and it's interesting, right? Because none, none of the things he quotes are the story that he's telling. But it, it, at the end of it, I felt like what he presented was like the real world manifestation of the stories that inspired a lot of the people who were characters in his telling of a real world story, if that makes sense. And in that sense, I was like, you, you could just tell the history without that kind of artistic bend on it or without trying to do that. Um, and so like either he did it intentionally, in which case, bravo, sir, like bravo, well done and thank you. Um, or it was unintentional, in which case, also bravo, because that just be, that to me would mean that as a part of his own study in it, he was so influenced by what he was reading and picking up that he managed to still tell the history in a very strong way, but in like this groovy style of the inspirational stories that drove the people in the story. I, it's like I don't know. There's a lot of like uh, cool layers to it that I think are really delicious. Um, so I don't know. That's that's like I, the adventure was reading this book. Um, and again, I, I you know I could have stopped to record a podcast for you know the two weeks that I was gone, but I was like I want to get through this. It took me two weeks. I mean, so that's why I don't read books the old-fashioned way because it took me literally two weeks. Um, not not straight. I wasn't like reading it every hour of every day. I had other stuff going on, but um, but it was hard for me because I don't like to exit when I'm consuming certain ideas. And I'm like getting into them. I really don't like leaving the idea space. And that's also why it's just like, it just can't take two weeks because I, I can't avoid leaving it. And then I have to like go back into it. So like context switching for me is not hard, but I prefer not to do it when I'm like really into something. Um, I can, I mean, and I would argue like I've, I've been between my education and training and, and experiences, I'm probably better at it than a lot of people, but I hate doing it when I don't like when it's not basically a matter of life and death. Um, I like I like to be in control of when I have to contact switch or not. And so when something takes two weeks, I start to lose control over when I can contact switch because two weeks is just a long time. You got like shit comes up. We're like, damn, now I have to contact switch out of the thing into something else. And I have to go back into the thing, which is going to be slow. So it, like it starts to actually like almost like negative feedback loop itself into negativity for me. Um, but I managed to power through <laughs> uh, and and importantly, so I'm thankful for the book. I'm thankful for the, for the storytelling. I'm thankful for the references. Um, Blues People was great, um, but it wasn't as good as uh, learning about Don Lewis. Um, so, you know, there's a, an inf infinitude, infinity, and an endless amount of, of points about this book. I could find a way to be grateful. Um, however, I like to like what strikes me, like the thing that rises out of the water and slaps me in the face and says, this is the thing that if there were nothing else but this thing, um, it would be worth it. The thing in this book for me was learning who Don Lewis was because I didn't know that before. Um, and it just, it kind of goes back to like, how the hell is that not something that I ever learned in school? Um, even, I even took music classes in school and never learned that i get why like looking back i'm like well now and now that i learned more about don lewis i'm like i know why i didn't learn it in school but it's it, it I, that's almost like an indictment on society and everything actually like once i understand why it's like wow now i hate everything um 
But anyway, I learned who Don Lewis was, which Don Lewis is this guy who, a brilliant genius musician and electrical engineer, also former Air Force like myself, um, basically he figured out a way, he built for himself ways to um, synchronize electronic instruments of the you know late 80s, early 90s, um, before MIDI was a thing. So MIDI, M-I-D-I, which stands for something, Musical Instrument Digital Interface, probably. Um, if you are a musician who's ever used a not analog instrument, e.g. like a, a, a keyboard, right? A MIDI keyboard. MIDI is basically, it's just a way for, um, imagine a world where every manufacturer of, a, of an electronic keyboard all made them to only work alone and not talk to anything else and not work with computers. So if you like use Ableton or you use uh, any kind of software tool or you work with multiple electronic instruments, MIDI is a protocol um, that allow a standardization basically that allows for all these different manufacturers to ensure their instruments can interoperate with one another because then it's easier for musicians to make music. Um, now as a manufacturer, you might be like, well, if I make all these different things, I can make my own custom thing and then force everyone to buy my instruments if they want to make music with more than just the one that they happen to buy, which obviously would be shitty. So the industry as a whole, I mean, the whole story of MIDI, honestly, it's like it gets its own, it's its own thing that's cool that humanity did. Um, and it's like the fact that it was done in a way where like really nobody, the companies and the people who were involved in the creation of MIDI probably could have done more to like rent capture and, and, grift off of the invention of that to you know obviously make the music industry like much worse because of the opportunities it would have limited um but also to enrich themselves and they didn't for the most part they're just like we're just going to do this we're going to do it for free and competing entities competing companies were like we're going to work together on this because we see how important it is for music and musicians at the end of the day that's what we're all here for we're not necessarily here to just like you know see profits go up i mean obviously there's that but i don't know i just think that's cool um, that, that could be like its own story, but it's not, it's not the thing that was most interesting to me. Uh, it didn't win the, take the cake, so to speak from the book. What took the cake was learning who Don Lewis was. Um, and so there's this reference to the ballad of Don Lewis, which is a documentary about Don Lewis's life, because of course there's a documentary about him. And of course it's not on any streaming platform that I could find, which is lovely. So I also this, the beauty, I guess, of this book is that in having to buy the Kindle version of it. It led me to buying two physical books that I couldn't find Kindle versions of, thank God, and a DVD, which was The Ballad of Don Lewis, because that documentary is not on any streaming service. So I bought a DVD, and also thank God that I have a DVD player. I actually sat around, I was like, wait, I don't have one. And then like my streaming PC has a, a, C, a DVD drive in it. And I'm like, thank God that thing has a DVD drive, because I would have got this DVD. And like, <laughs> I'm sure you can just go buy a DVD player still at I don't know, Best Buy, but I, I don't know. I briefly worried, like, can you even still get one of those anywhere? Um, and, then, and then also just the absurdity of, like, am I going to buy a whole-ass DVD player to watch this one DVD? I'm not going to, like, get into a rhythm of getting, like, other DVDs. I don't want to do that. <laughs> just, just like I don't want to get a bookshelf to store physical books when I, at the, these days, I'm basically all digital for my books. Um, Anyway, so that was like the, I'd say the thing that takes the cake for me with this book was learning about Don Lewis because Don Lewis is like one of those people I read about, learn about in history. And I'm like, man, this is a man after my own heart. Um, I think the other notable person I've mentioned on this podcast who was like that is Claude, Claude Shannon. Claude Shannon is like a man after my own heart. And, and so is Don Lewis. 
Um, basically, Don Lewis figured out a way to get these electronic instruments to work together. He built this thing called Live Electronic Orchestra. And if you're at all technical, like you've, you've heard any kind of engineering, um, I took like a basic electrical engineering class in college. And it's just impressive to me that he got all these different electronic instruments to work before MIDI. So before MIDI was ever a thing, he, and there's other people, like he wasn't the only one, but like he got all these things together and he's just like, we're going to put all this shit together and it's going to be awesome. And so I watched the documentary and I'm like, man, this documentary is like one of the most best things I've ever watched in my life. And both because it's like awesome. It's like, holy shit, what a genius. And also it's incredibly inspiring. Um, especially like, I don't know, as a little kid personally, um, you know, I've always been into music. I've mentioned that on the podcast before. I haven't done a music episode, but this is like, uh, more or less, this episode is a music, the music episode, you know, the, or at least the first of such, where I talk about my interest in music and why I love it. Um, but, you know, as a little kid, I would play around. Like, we, one of my first and best Christmas gifts I ever remember, you know, it's like you get a bike, you remember that. I remember getting my, I remember my, getting my first watch, my first bike, and this uh, Yamaha keyboard, which, you know, now I know is an electric, it was an electronic MIDI keyboard. And I, I made so much noise with that thing. <laughs> um, and ever since, literally ever since I got that, I have always had one. There's never been a point in my life where I did not own and have within like arm's distance some kind of MIDI keyboard like that. Um, the only time, well, briefly, like while I was in basic training, I, didn't, I technically did not. But like the, it was actually the, one of the first things I bought once I had my first paycheck ever was that. Um, just because like, I don't know, something about being able to twiddle with twiddle my thumbs on my thumbs and my other fingers as well on such an interface for music creation is just like, I don't know, it, it brings out the little kid in me. Um, so then to see like this guy, Don Lewis, who <laughs> basically did all that, like, you know, one of the things, if you get one of those, you, they, they, they make different instrumental sounds in the days of the days when Don Lewis was doing his genius things, you had manufacturers who sold these instruments, but maybe they can only make a couple sounds. And so he's like, well, I could get this one from this manufacturer and this one from this other manufacturer. They each make different sounds and I'll put them together and I'll, it'll be awesome. That is like wild. You know, right now you can turn a knob. You, you don't even need a physical device at this point. At this point you can open a plugin in Ableton and you can get all these sounds. Um, but to think that like Don Lewis is one of the progenitors of this, um, this synchronization between them, it's awesome. Um, and learning about him was, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, what a gem kind of mad. I didn't learn about him at all in school, but kind of glad I did finally learn about him and also a very inspirational documentary. Thank God the people who made the documentary did make it and they did it before he passed away. He did pass away in, uh, within the last five years he passed away. Um, but he was alive when they made the documentary. I think they made it in like 2017. Um, and then also from that, uh, another, so this, the saga of like Don Lewis that's presented in the book um, through it, you know, um, the book mentions, uh, I'm going to try to say this correctly. Ikutaro, Ikutaro Kakehashi, who was the founder of the Roland corporation. Um, so in classic ignorant me fashion, I did not know that the Roland corporation was uh, a Japanese company. Um, I'm not surprised, but it's just like, I don't know. It didn't, <laughs> I didn't put two and two together. It makes a lot of sense. Like I actually should have known, but, I just never put that together because Roland is not a Japanese name, right? Yamaha makes sense because that's a Japanese name. Roland is not. Um, and I, I, but anyway, I learned about Taro. He went by Taro. Taro Kakehashi, who is the founder of the Roland, Roland Corporation, through this book and learning about Don Lewis and how he and Don, he basically, well, Don Lewis was a friend of his and they basically worked together. And also he's in the documentary. 
They talk about how as he was building um, some of his electronic instruments and as he was working with the folks who were working on MIDI, you know, Don was like a basically consultant to that because he built his own version of what MIDI ultimately would allow people to do who are not genius electronic, uh, electric, or sorry, genius electrical engineers. Um, so it's cool. So I learned about Taro Kakehashi, who wrote an autobiography called I Believe in Music. And um, some of the quotes in the documentary and also in the um, Assembling a Black Counterculture book, I'm like, well, I also have to learn. I have to learn about Don Lewis. Like, as soon as, like, the little, he, I think he only came up once in the book or maybe twice, and it was very briefly. And the little snippet, I was just like, I, I must know more about this man. Um, and, and I'm so glad I did. Again, the, the, watching that documentary was like, it's taken the cake so far for 2023 in terms of content I've consumed. And it probably will stay at the top because he's a man after my own heart. And unless I come across someone or something on the order of like Claude Shannon or Don Lewis within the rest of 2023, like I don't know that anything else is going to take the cake. But I'm holding out. I'm not going to give up. It's only February. And even then, just barely. So that's cool, right? It's like I'm, that allowed me to really, really get in touch with my inner child. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm going through this like spiritual wilderness. Um, so it, it also became clear to me uh, as I, once I got to the Don Lewis part, especially, and then it says, like, as I watched the documentary, I'm like, wow. Basically, like, I actually think that the spiritual wilderness I've been in, I'm going to, like, kind of be able, like, this is the exit pathway. Like, the, start going on this adventure of this book and the Don Lewis documentary, and now I have uh, Taro Kakehashi's biography in, as a physical book. It's the first physical book I've bought in, what is it, 2023? So probably not since 2019. I don't think I've bought a physical book that I wanted. I, I think I have bought others that I, I don't know, it's like to support the author or like, you know, like I'd already read it. And, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like I haven't read it and I'm buying this because I want to read it. Um, not just because I want to support the person who wrote it and I, or like I've already listened to it. Um, cause I'll do that sometimes. Sometimes I'll listen to an auto audio book and I like it so much. I'll buy the physical book. It's like a show, show of support. But the, this one, it's like, well, I can't, there is no audio version. So I'm buying it, <laughs> you know, I'm going in blind, but seeing, hearing him, hearing Taro Kakahashi talk about his experience with Don Lewis in the Don Lewis documentary. And then he's mentioned also in the book, the assembling a black counterculture book. Like, well, I also have to know about this guy. And the, the name of his autobiography is I Believe in Music. And like, same here, dude. He also has another book called An Age Without Samples, Originality and Creativity in the Digital World, which I'm also going to read um, because he's a prolific guy. And that was like what was so compelling. Like, it's, you know, this is how my rabbit hole works, right? So like, I hear this podcast with a uh, Black Techno Matters guy whose name, I think his name is Bernard. I don't remember his last name though. Um, and he mentions, you know, the Belleville Three and you should learn your history. And then because I'm looking into that, I find the book Assembling a Black Counterculture, which is, I'd say it's like a, hif- a history of uh, techno music in the United States, uh, how it spread overseas, and how specifically black people in Detroit shaped it. Um, that, that's, you know, if, you, if I were to summarize the book in, in, in a few sentences, it would be that. Um, and you know, so it's like, okay, I, I, that led me to this book within this, but then this book is this fucking treasure trove of references, right? Like every single thing in the book, every single item, every single, even quote reference that the book has is there's a link, there's an article, there's a, a book behind that. Um, so then the rabbit hole now is, has infinite potential. And I love it when someone puts together like a potentially infinite rabbit hole. Um, and then, you know, I, I, it's like, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. I hit this part about Don Lewis. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this man. Uh, man after my own heart. 
oh my gosh, there's a documentary, <laughs> right? And then so it's like, okay, we're going down the documentary rabbit hole. We're going down the Don Lewis rabbit hole. And it's like, oh shit, cool. Like I, so before the documentary, I actually did read Blues People with by Amiri Baraka, but there, a rabbit hole did not present itself. Um, there, if I had, if I like squinted and looked back, I could see how there would have been, but they like weren't compelling ones. Whereas like for me, like it's, it's not like a, a good rabbit hole. Isn't like a, there could be a thing that I could explore like a, no, optionally you could take a side quest. It's like, no, 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 it's so compelling. I must. And like, that's how it was with Don, Don Lewis. And then of course in the documentary, I was like, okay, like Taro Kakahashi started rolling. That's pretty interesting. Um, because I listen to founders podcast, which I told you all about at the beginning of this podcast. Um, this episode, I should say, um, I'm like, okay, well, he's a founder of a big company that I know has made like probably the single most influential instrument or set of electronic instruments in the history of all instruments, actually. Um, the Roland Corporation. So like they built the like 909, TR909, and TR808, which are basically Roland electronic instruments that you have heard. Like you definitely have heard them because they're in all music. <laughs> like basically from their invention until now, They've managed to squirrel their way into basically every song that's ever been made in some form or fashion. Um, unless you're like listening to like, like indie singer songwriter who is not doing anything other than like playing a guitar and singing, right? Then maybe there's not, or maybe like, uh, I, I'm like probably like somewhere in the spectrum of like uh, band. I'd say band music. If you if you listen to a band, they may not be. They're probably not. In, like they're not in a live show necessarily using an electronic instrument, but they almost certainly are when they record their albums and stuff. Um, and to think that like the suite of products, right? So like these electronic instruments between like the 808 and the 909, and which are like I'd say like the the big ones, right? They they like, weren't even successful necessarily, and and may not have happened had it not been for like literally black people in Detroit making things like techno music, <laughs> and and then like you know, chance encounters between like, like those people and like dudes like Don Lewis and, and Taro Kakehashi. And then it just like all worked out where like, now you have this, this world where the entire field of music, uh, electronic music exists now. Um, and, and you know, you could, there's like a lot of pioneering influences, but it's just like the chain of events from all these things. It's, it's crazy. And it's, it's beautiful, right? It's like, there, this is this is the good shit, <laughs> you know. Like this podcast goes all over the place, and I ramble a lot about stuff. But it's like this, this, that good shit, where it's like the, the, the when you stumble across something, where it's like, who knows what the world would have looked like had it not been for these people imagining beauty in this world that did not exist. Like to take all of these different manufacturers' products and break them open and solder things together yourself because you want to be able to do something with them all. Um, first of all, like that's just like sick hacker mindset application. Um, and then to pull it off and then also to be musically talented because like that's not necessarily musical talent to be able to like solder circuits and wire things together. But then to be able to also, cause you could, you could argue, right? Like Taro Kakehashi was not really a musician, um, but he was, you know, a good engineer and, and used his solid engineering principles and then just his leadership to build the Roland Corporation, which made these instruments, which literally have influenced, like I said, basically all music, you know, but not, not a musician, whereas Don Lewis and this, you know, this is again, why I, he was so compelling to me as a figure and why I'd call him the man after my own heart. Like Don Lewis was an, an, an engineer, but also a musician. So he built this monstrosity, <laughs> the live electronic orchestra. And then he also played it and like did performances and concerts and stuff like that. I'm just like, this is awesome. 
uh, and then like the result of the like blood, sweat, tears, and and whatever of these 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 people led to the world we know it today, the musical world we know it today. So like as a person who you know when I was a child, I the the legend goes that when I was a wee lad, uh, my great grandmother had a electronic keyboard in her house and the legend goes that as soon as i was capable of moving myself around whether that was crawling or walking or whatever it was i would always go to that thing and play with it (laughs) and then of course now i as a 30 year old i'm like my one of my earliest memories of christmas gifts um other than the watch and the bike which i think well the watch came before the keyboard but the bike came after I remember getting this like Yamaha keyboard. It was a 72, it was like a full size, you know, piano keyboard. Um, but you know, it was electronic. You could, it was pretty light as electronic keyboards tend to be. Um, so you could like move it around and then you could just plug it into an outlet and boom, you're good. You're off, you're off to the races, not just with piano sound, but with, you know, the, I don't know how many instruments it had some, you know, let's call it 50 something instruments. It was probably more than that, but 50 something instruments and you could like put them all together. And what you could do is you could sequence them. So I didn't know this term sequencing until basically the last couple of weeks because I'm dumb. <laughs> I've been doing musical stuff for, I don't even know, uh, since, since allegedly since I was able to move myself. And I did not know that like, the con- like this whole thing where you like have a uh, you're recording is what I would have called it, but you're sequencing a melody with MIDI uh, or you're like using a, notes in a pattern on like some kind of oscillating, not oscillating, but like continuous time graph if I wanted to put uh, fancy words behind it. Um, you know, I've been doing that for pff, as long as I can remember. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's just, it's cool to know that like, holy shit, that, I, that may not have existed had it not been for like a series of awesome events with people who, I don't know, they like, they, they decided that the world needed this and they made it into the world um, over obstacles, over like, people in their way in Don Lewis's case, like overt racism because he was doing all this at a time. And like overt racism was much more overt than it tends to be day, today. And also much more like, we're just going to end your career because you're black kind of things. Um, and then like to know that like, wow, all of these things existed because of these people and the, the, the influence in it. And then like, I don't know, what are the odds that I end up not just an interest, you know, getting these electronic instruments, but also being a huge techno fan, uh, Obviously, it's great music. So, like, I think I don't know how anybody who listens to it and well, I could see. I'm not going to say that everybody needs to, you know, taste is taste is a subjective thing. So, I don't think everybody needs to have the same taste. But it's great music, personally. I think it's just fantastic music. I think all music. I mean, I, I can I can tell you songs in any genre that I like. Um, so it's not even necessarily that I place that that genre above others. I think for me, I listen to different types of music depending on my mood. Um, and then like my yeah, it's still mood like what I'm feeling. Um, like I love nothing but thieves, probably my favorite band. Um, but, and that's not techno, you know, they're, 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 you know, quote unquote band music. I call it band music. Cause it's like, you know, guitar, drums, bass, the standard stuff you might find in a, an ensemble. Like they could take that all to a bar and play live. And I don't think their sound would suffer for it. Whereas like an electronic musician couldn't, <laughs> you know, they could take their, their electronic instrument to a bar and they could play it and it wouldn't suffer. But I think for most of what we experience in electronic music, the good stuff uh, tends not to be done live. There is good stuff done live. But like the stuff you're listening to for the most part is not like, I don't even know. Like in some cases it's not capable of being done live. 
Um, and not like, you know, I'm, I'm using that word loosely capable. Um, but it's just cool to think here we are in this world where, you know, little old me was fucking around at, I don't know, two. When do childlings start to be able to move themselves around? Two years old and I'm climbing up on the stool and playing with this electronic keyboard. Um, and that stuck because here I am today doing the same. I mean, you know, I'm looking at my keyboard. It's right here in front of me. Um, it's not as fancy as that one I had as a kid, actually, because it needs a computer. Uh, but they're much lighter and cheaper if they need a computer. Um, and also you can do more with them, actually, um, because of MIDI, which is crazy. I mean, you know, it's just like, wow. It's like, it's like seeing history slap you in the face and then like in a, in a much more personal way than like other types of history or other like history segments hit me. Um, so yeah, I mean, this episode's like a huge heaping of gratitude for, gosh, I don't even know where I'd start with that. Um, George Clinton. <laughs> I guess I started the episode with Atomic Dog by George Clinton. Um, I, the reason for that is because it's one of my favorite songs. Um, and then also, George, I didn't know this. Knowing that that's my favorite song, I didn't really, I'm really bad about like who made what. I'm awful about it. I, mostly because I don't pay attention to it. I knew that, it's like I knew the song Atomic Dog because it's in the lyrics. I didn't, <laughs> if you had asked me a couple weeks ago before I went down this rabbit hole who, who it was that made it, I would have had to look it up because I'm really bad at like remembering who, like the name associate. I know the artists I like and then I know the songs I like. I don't necessarily know the mapping between the artists and the songs off the top of my head. Um, but like George Clinton was a one of the like early electronic instrument pioneers using electronic instruments in uh, was it P funk and uh, and then also that song which features uh, in the the version with all the instrumentals electronic music. So huge heaping of gratitude to Mr. Clinton, huge to George Clinton, um, the artist, the musician. Huge heaping of gratitude to DeForest Brown Jr., who wrote Assembling a Black Counterculture. Huge heaping of gratitude for Mr. Don Lewis for just being an inspirational badass motherfucker. Um, <laughs> huge inspirational, huge heaping of gratitude to Ikutaro Kakuhashi, who, is, who founded, I said that wrong, Ikutaro, Ikutaro Kakehashi, who founded Roland Corporation, which just, again, you don't know what the Roland Corporation is. I'm going to link to it. I'm going to link to the Wikipedia. It's just, yeah, like literally all music, modern music, all modern music, let's say. Um, and then I guess like to my parents, right? Because the fact that they would allow me as a little motive, whatever year old to go play with a keyboard, which makes noise. And then to buy me as a five-year-old, a keyboard, which also makes noise. But this time it was in our house and not at my great grandma's house. And then like, Looking back, something that's that struck me, um, and I think I have brought this up over the, the past, uh, or I think I have brought this up on a previous episode, but like something that stands out to me uh, as an adult who is somehow still creative, um, when I know other adults that I think have creative sparks, but uh, somewhere along the way, the creative embers like are, are they got weaker. Um, I think just the circumstances around them influencing them to suppress it. Um, I look back and I'm like, wow, I don't ever really. I don't think I have a single memory of my parents ever stopping me or my sister from making a lot of noise with a musical instrument, which is like, as an adult now, I'm like, that's crazy actually, because if I had a child anywhere near me making loud noise with an instrument for any long period of time, 
my my desire would be to tell that child to shut the fuck up or to go somewhere else with it or to like take myself away from it. And if it were my child, I just wouldn't get them one because it would make a lot of noise, except I have one, which is how they would get it. Um, but if I, if I weren't like, if I didn't have my own, I, I don't know, like it takes a lot of patience to deal with a little kid making a lot of noise, any kind of noise, but especially noise with like a thing that is louder than their voice. Um, or like louder than the noise they could make on their own. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I, I'll, I'll end the episode with gratitude for my 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 mother and my parents for um, both for allowing you know again for me and my sister to engage in music and and musical instrumentation at a very young age. But also again, I have I actually have no memory. Like I I I, I thought about this a few times. I'm like, did we ever get told to be quiet or not right now? It's like I actually think we never did. I'm pretty sure. That any time we were doing musical stuff, my mother was just like, let it ride. And, and I was thinking about, like, how awesome must it be as a parent? You know, because I'm like, okay, well, if I were a parent, which I'm not, thank God. If I were a parent, I'd, I'd probably be really annoyed by my kid making noise. Because um, I know my own process. Like, my process for music, especially back then, but also now, is, like, very iterative. Starts out sounding like nothing and garbage, and then it gets... It, it kind of turns out um, if the music were like clay on a little pottery wheel, then the s- cycles around the pottery wheel, as I mold it, it's like it starts out as a lump of clay that's unformed and it stays that way until it starts to be something. Um, which means because it's noise, <laughs> it's just noise at first and then eventually it sounds cool. And I'm like, I, imagine being a parent and you get your like little child thing of two or three an instrument. And they suck at first, <laughs> you know, and they're making all this noise, um, but they keep going, which is cool, right? Like, so plus, plus, like, you know, give them points for uh, sticking with it and keeping their attention on the one thing. Um, but like, eventually, if, if they have any talent at all, eventually they make something that sounds good or, you know, like something that's actually music. Maybe not like good because it's not going to be professional music, but I, I'm just thinking like, that's got to be a pretty cool feeling as a parent. When you're like, damn, that kid keeps making noise. Damn, that kid keeps making noise. And then someday you're just like, oh, shit. It actually sounds kind of groovy. Um, I don't know. I think that's got to be pretty cool. Um, but certainly as a child, looking back, I'm like, wow, it's pretty cool to think that I could have, like, in, especially, like, in the summer between school when there's nothing to do and you're just doing it all day, um, making noise on this instrument. And you're never really being told, like, hey, be quiet. Hey, don't do this right now. Hey, wait till these hours, blah, blah, blah. There was no, I don't remember any limitations being put on, like, the, app, the time of day. <laughs> Um, I, I think the only time was like, if my mom went to sleep, then she wanted us to use headphones, but like we were kids. So I I think we usually went to bed before her. Um, anyway, a huge heaping of gratitude to my mother, uh, for, for that, for allowing my own creative musical spark to, and, and, and this is part of why I, I know this is the thing, a thing because I, me and my sister and I would get in like little arguments over the music that either of us would make. Like I would be making my musical noise and she would be making her musical noise and we'd get mad because if we weren't also doing it, then it's like, hey, I'm trying to sleep or do whatever that's not noise and you're making all that noise over there. Um, and so it's like, I always remember, I do remember with my sister, like we had our little, our little spats, but never from the, my, my mother herself. So I certainly, uh, you know, really from neither of my parents, but also my dad was usually at work. So um, I don't know that it would have affected him as much, but it's just, it's crazy to me to think that like, wow, like to allow that, just allow that to happen. It's pretty, it's awesome. It's the kind of thing that could lead 
to a person like me becoming a person like Don Lewis, where not only do you have like the engineering mind to solder all these random instruments together so you can play them in your live electronic orchestra, but also you end up with some musicianship. So for that, I am incredibly grateful. And then I'd say like this past couple of weeks has been um, an adventure of like into history, especially the history of music, um, especially the influence of black people on it. Um, especially techno music, which is like I my probably my favorite electronic music genre is techno. I'd like, you know, I'd say number one techno, number two house. Um, both of which had a very, very strong Midwestern middle class black influence on it, right? Between, you know, the folks in Chicago for house music and the folks in Detroit for techno. Um, and then, you know, all of that kind of leading to and culminating in my own life where it's like now I've got this MIDI keyboard synthesizer that only exists because of the people from you know the late eighties, early nineties who decided like these things needed to be a thing. Um, you know, again, against resistance in some cases. Um, and then, you know, for the people who, for the people out there, like the David Sunrose with founders podcast or DeForest Brown jr. With assembling a black counterculture, um, for the people out there who cultivate and, and put, bring together, uh, the histories and the stories of, you know, people and, and see changing events in various industries like the music industry, um, that for whatever reason, our history books and our schools don't do, you know, huge, huge bit of gratitude to those folks as well. So, um, you know, I can say that uh, this, this was all very, uh, an inspirational couple of weeks for me an inspirational couple of weeks for me that allowed me to really reconnect with, uh, my own history, my own past uh, my own recollection of my relationship with music. Uh, it's helped me to like really, uh, not that I, I never, you know, it's, it's always, it's always been there. I mean, I've, I probably mentioned it more than, I don't know, at least 20 times on the podcast that I, I, you know, how I'm, how I'm into making music, but it's, it's helped me to connect in like a very different way. Um, cause you know, now it's like, I can look and see like this, the, the beauty of all the awesomeness that had to come together for this to, to exist. And then like, as I like sort of meditate and gratitude on it, it, uh, I don't know. It's, it's the kind of thing that brings a man out of his, his own spiritual wilderness. So here we are, uh, out of the wilderness and, and into the, into the, I don't even know, into the now <laughs> ready to read these physical fucking books. I haven't finished yet. Uh, cause they're kind of long and then, uh, keep doing this. So this is back, uh, weekly. Um, we've got some really cool, interesting episodes ahead. Um, there's one book I'm reading that I'm not going to name now because if I do, then they, there might, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't even want to tickle you with something you might expect from the podcast going forward. Um, topically anyway, you can expect that it'll happen more or less weekly unless an adventure presents itself. I'm always open to an adventure. So, um, I try not to plan too, too much and, and like, I try not to have a rigid schedule at all really, because that is the biggest obstacle to adventure is a rigid schedule. Um, so I can't promise the podcast will always be weekly, but assuming there's no adventure, it's going to be weekly. Um, and I also have stuff like in mind now, something about these past couple of weeks has been very inspirational. So I actually have like quite the queue of topics I might discuss and shine the gratitude flashlight on, um, or at least present to you at, at this gratitude feast that I'm trying to have us all enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, go and listen to atomic dog after this. It's like one of those songs I will never forget. And it's, you know, I only know that song because my mom listened to it a lot when I was a kid. 
Um, I, I think there was a time when she said it was her favorite song, actually. I think I, I remember it being her favorite song at some point in time. Like any sane human being, her favorite song changes, I think. It just, you know, my favorite song changes. My favorite songs, you know, it's like I have a favorite set of favorite songs for a set of moods, and it changes as I discover new music. So, um, but yeah, go listen to it. I'm going to link to that. I'm going to link to all the various things. Um, thank you for being here. I hope you found reasons to be grateful in the last couple of weeks. Um, hopefully this inspires some gratitude. I think, you know, one of the things I took away from this adventure was like, I should probably be more, I am pretty deliberate about the gratitude thing on the podcast, but I want to be, I want to be more creative about it, I guess. So far it's been just rambling, um, you know, pure output and release for the ideas and whatnot that I've ingested. Uh, I want to, I want to shape it a little bit more and make it a bit more, uh, you know, again, a creative output, not too much because I don't want it to become a burden. Um, and like I literally just said how schedules are, uh, a big obstacle or an impediment to adventures. And the podcast is like one of the things I'm committing to you all that I'm going to do weekly. So, um, if I do a weekly thing that I'm going to like get too rigid about, then it becomes a burden. Um, not only a burden, but also an impediment to adventure. So it's not going to be, I won't let it become that, but I do want to like, I am feeling inspired to give it more shape and color so that the, uh, the, the gratitude meal I serve up to you is, is more delicious and a bit more delectable. Um, part of that's going to be not recording these at the ass crack of whatever time, like it's currently 2 AM Pacific time. Oh, well, thank you very much for your existence. And I will catch you in the next one.